everybody is entitled to their 15 minutes of fame. Now you'll get to hear some of those people share their wisdom and insight on the fame game on Voice America Kids. Now, here's your host, Maddie Rose. Welcome, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm your host, Maddie Rose. We have a very special guest today. His name is Earl Thomas. So, Earl, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. So, thank you so much for joining me. It's really a pleasure to be talking to you. Well, likewise. Thank you. being invited. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Earl, tell me a little bit about yourself and your musical background and really what made you begin music. Okay. So, uh, what, what, what made me begin music? I come from a musical family, and um, in my family, every person is in some way musical. Either they play an instrument, or they sing, or they both, or they do both. In fact, as far as the singers go, I'm not even the best one in my family. I'm far from it, in fact. I'm the only one that got involved in a musical career, but everybody in my family who can sing really sings well. Like my mother was a very, very, very good singer, but she only sang in church. And my same with my with a couple of cousins who are extremely talented, but again, they only sing in church. And if one of them gets the Holy Ghost, if they get the Holy Ghost, and they're really good, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, but I got into music. Um, completely by accident okay i always knew <laughs> that i could that i could sing you know i always liked music but but the idea of a career in music that was the, that was never part of our um thought processes no one ever told me when i was a kid oh you know you could be a singer someday oh, well my dad actually did say something like that but it wasn't like i mean the emphasis it was always get a real job you know, go to college become a dentist or a lawyer or a doctor you know do something that was considered legitimate. Music wasn't ever in that conversation, even though it was, you know, we all knew we could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in college, uh, some friends of mine and I went to an open mic at a little club in town. And um, unbeknownst to me, one of my friends in our group had heard me singing in the shower. So I would always kind of sing in the shower, but only really soft to myself. I never wanted anybody to hear me. And because um, I didn't like to have the attention put on me. And so we were all sitting at the table and my friend said, hey, you guys, Earl can sing. I heard him singing in the shower this morning. <laughs> um, Earl, you ought to go up there and sing with that guy, some, the guy who was hosting the open mic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, dude, I don't sing. And I don't really sing. I don't want to go sing in public, you know. I don't I only sing, you know, in, in the shower, you know. And they kept asking me, go do it, man. Go, yeah, go do it. Go do it. And so... I said, I, so I said, okay, if you get me, buy me another beer, and I'll go do it. <laughs> so I bought me a beer, I drank that beer, and I walked up to that guy, his name was Bryce, and I said, I want to sing. And he said, okay, come on up, what do, you, what do you want to sing? And the only song we knew in common, or at least we could figure out, was I sang Jackson Brown, a song called Something Fine from the Saturate Before Using album. And, okay, so I had never really sang in public, so I didn't know the term stunned silence. Mm. So I finished the song and the audience sat there, including my friends from the dorm, in stunned silence. Nobody applauded when I finished. They were just sitting there like dumbfounded, staring at me, right? And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I didn't do good. They don't like me. But all of a sudden, everybody just erupted in an applause. All at the same time. So there was stunned silence and then this eruption of applause. I got a standing ovation. Everybody was just really, you know, complimentary. 
And I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do all that. I didn't know that I could get that kind of reaction from an audience. And so I started going to that open mic um, every week. And I would sing every week. And I would just, I'd always get a really good, strong reaction. And one, one week I went, I met a, a guitar player uh, named Dan Perez, who eventually, I joined, the first band I was ever in was a band, had a band, and they needed a singer, and they asked me if I would come and sing in their band. Nice. And I go, well, I've never sang in a band before. So I did. I said I'd do it. And then it was Dan who suggested that I might benefit from voice lessons. And I said, you know, no, I don't think I want voice lessons because I, I don't want to sound like an opera singer. Well, they, he ended up convincing me. I changed my major to music. And four years later, I got my degree, and here I am. That's and that's how I got into music. Professionally, our senior project for graduation had to be a challenging uh, project, something that, you know, challenged our education. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I had read, I had found a book in the reference library called How to Make and Sell Your Own Recording by a woman called Diane Suard Rappaport. Hmm. And I just was glancing through the book. I wasn't thinking about making a record. I wasn't thinking about, you know, I was just looking at the pictures. Right? And so when, when it came time to do our senior project, I thought, wow, because they said that we could petition and do, what they wanted us to do was to write something in classical music, like, like something for the symphony or write a piece, you know, a piece that the symphony could play, or write a piece that, an operetta, you know, but something in classical music. Mm-hmm. And, but I, but I also heard the instructor say that we could petition and do something that's, you know, not in the classical vein. And so I said, wow. I talked to a friend of mine, Philip Wooten. I said, you know what we should do? Let's, let's maybe, let's see if they'll let us make a record album. Because I've been reading this book in the library called How to Make and Sell Your Own Recording. So we petitioned, and they said yes, and we took that book, and we actually made for our senior project what eventually became my first international release. Uh, we, we made an album, an LP, 33 and a third, called I Sing the Blues. And the first song on that was the first song I ever wrote. I didn't know I could write songs. And that first song, as it turns out, was recorded by Etta James. And when Etta James did the song, then we actually made money, and we got invited to the Montreal Jazz Festival in Switzerland, and I began to have this career in Europe. And for the, since 1992, I've been going to Europe every summer for six months, and that's how I actually make my, my, my living, is uh, on the European side of the planet, mm-hmm. uh, playing shows and festivals and concerts and selling records and you know the whole bit. I do very little work in the United States, but that's beginning to change. It's starting to change now, but... Um, but if I never did work in the United States, it would be fine. But, uh, yeah, so I got into music, like, by accident. It wasn't like a dream of mine yeah. to become a singer, so. Well, I absolutely love your story, Earl. It's it's amazing, and it's funny how things come together. Everybody says everything happens for a reason, and I guess you were just oh, yeah. destined for music because it's kind of funny enough that you had all of these people in your family. They're all musically oriented. Again, it kind of wasn't in your plans, but really it just kind of found you. It's interesting that you say that because I absolutely know for certain that I was born to be the representative of my family in this game. Um, I have, how do I say it? I, my dad was in the Navy, 
Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't actually grow up in my hometown of Pikeville, Tennessee. Um, I mean, we would go back and visit, you know, but we lived in many locations around the world. So for the first 14 years of my life, I lived in a completely multicultural world. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. And I did not get that narrative that was part of my, that would have been part of my life had we grown up in Pikeville. And the narrative would have been, you know, the whole Jim Crow, in the shadow of the whole Jim Crow South. I don't know if you know what that was, but it was a period of time before civil rights uh, where, you know, black people, African-American people, you know, were not, you know, treated very well mm-hmm. or worse than today, much worse. Yeah. And so, uh, and there's a lot of lingering issues that, you know, come with that. I didn't hear any of that. Growing up. And that allowed me to have a much freer uh a free thought. I, I don't. I'm, I. I had, there was nothing that I couldn't do. I never had a doubt that I could do anything. So if I decided to do something, I knew I could do it. So when I decided to do music, it was like, okay, I'm going to give it everything I've got. And one day it occurred to me, wow, I am the only one out of a clan of about 300 people, in you know, through over 150 years in Pikeville, Tennessee. Yeah. That ever ventured out and did anything with this. And, and I, when I look back, I can see how you're, you're right. Things happen for a reason. There've been so many just things that happened that kept me on track. You know, I, that's amazing to me sometimes when I think, wow, because like I said, you know, where I met, um, you know, the lady that introduced us, Yes. When we were talking and I said, Oh yeah. you know, my goal was never, I never was driven by desire for fame. I was never, that never occurred to me. Being famous was not in my, you know, mindset. But I'll tell you what I did want. I wanted to be the best one. And in the blues genre, in the art form that I claim, I am definitely one of the, if not the best one of my generation. And I worked very, very hard to be able to say that. That's so great, Earl, and it's such a pleasure again to have you here today uh, for not only that reason, but again, just to tell your whole story in general. But we do have to take a quick little break, so keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. What do you want to do? Are you interested in the performing arts? If so, make sure you tune in to the Angel and Harmony Show. Angel and Harmony have experience singing, acting, and performing in general and want to help you live out your dreams of the future. Whether you are interested in acting, modeling, dancing, or singing, this is the show for you. We'll even give you the scoop on being behind the scenes if you're a little shy. The Angel and Harmony Show is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Looking for an on-air community where teens talk and the world listens? Tune in to Express Yourself, an entertaining adolescent fusion radio program where passion and possibility populate the airwaves. Our vivacious teen hosts and star-studded field reporters from around the country offer stimulating segments and invigorating viewpoints connecting with the world campus of young people. We'll talk with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with experience. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Kids. 
express yourself. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm Maddie Rose, back with Earl. So we talked a little bit about about Earl's background and, you know, what really led him to music. And it just looks like music found him. And that's just so wonderful. And Earl is just doing so great. And um, Earl, my next question for you is, how would you describe your genre of music? I think you said that you were doing blues, correct? Yes, I consider myself a contemporary blues man, a modern day blues man. Uh, And I'll I'll explain. Uh, You've heard of B.B. King. Mm -hmm. B.B. King is a blues man of the uh, post-war, and when I say post-war, that's after World War II, the post-war blues. He's sort of the, uh, he, Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf. Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie with Beyonce called Cadillac Records, Um, but that whole area, that whole genre, that whole uh, uh, era of music making in the blues was the post-war urban blues, meaning that after... World War One. After World War Two, um, there was a great migration from the South uh, of many of the African American people who had been living uh, the sharecropper life had, you know, sort of decided to, to to move out of that arena, and a lot of them moved to the North for, to work in factories like the, the car manufacturing and the steel mills and things, and which is how the Chicago, you know blues came about all these people moved from the south to chicago and they brought their music with them that would be my grandparents generation mm-hmm. and uh and my parents and i being a child of the 70s grew up with a very different um very different uh, viewpoint because as i said my dad was in the navy and i lived for the first 14 years of my life not in my hometown we did move back to my hometown when my dad retired from the Navy, but I was 14 years old and already had developed myself, if you will. And But the blues is still my music. But I was a, the, the influences that are a part of my music would be rock and roll, big, big influence, because I was a big rock fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and then everything else. <laughs> and so my music has a different personality, say, than the music of B.B. King. So it's contemporary. I call it contemporary, sophisticated, modern blues. That's but it, and it doesn't sound anything like the old blues, but there are some similarities. Mm-hmm. But I'm very proud to be able to say I stand on my own two feet. And as a songwriter, um, I've had key artists, icons, in fact, uh, cover my songs, including Etta James, Tom Jones, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Solomon Burke, Tracy Nelson, Shanika Copeland. Jennifer the Magnus, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the list goes on. So as a songwriter, I um, have been in demand uh, by other artists because of my, I guess, ability to write in this modern, uh, with the modern viewpoint. Definitely. Well, again, it, music totally found you because, you know, like you said, those artists are so in demand for, you know, your songwriting. And it's just amazing, you know, that it came knocking to your door. And, you know, this is what you're doing now. And kind of my question for you, since you brought up songwriting, is do you think that songwriting comes easy to you or was it a challenge at first for you? Uh, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, okay, Stevie Nicks, Mm-hmm. And Sting, I'm sure that Stevie Nicks has journals. 
Yeah. And she probably has a desk and some flowing winds blowing through some curtains. <laughs> I have this imagination that she has this room that is probably well lit and there's plants and candles burning and incense. And she sits in journals and writes poetry and all this. I don't do any of that. No. I, every song I've written, and I've got it by my, 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 uh, my uh, song list is about 65 songs. Uh, 65 and about 15 of them are making money for me. And, and for the ones that are making money for me, I did not sit down and spend hours and hours and hours trying to craft the song. I didn't. What happens with me is I will be walking down the street, just minding my own beeswax, and suddenly I'll get a melody and an idea will come in my head and I have to put it down immediately. Thank God for cell phones now. One of, the, one of my greatest songs, a song called I'll Be Here, that song came to me in an instant and I called my, this is, I'm going to date myself now, <laughs> I call, I went to a payphone outside. <laughs> you probably don't know what a payphone is, but I went to a payphone, called my answering machine, and sang this song on my answering machine. I've done that several times throughout the years. Oh wow! Now with cell phones, it's much easier. I just put on the record button. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, they just come to me like that. I don't ever, you know, struggle to write songs. So, but now here's the thing. I don't write that many of them. Like, I don't write, you know, 15 songs in a day or anything. I don't do that. But when they come to me, they are always come as complete songs. They, they, I mean, totally complete. And um, now here, and I think there's a reason for that, too. When I was growing up, mm-hmm. even though I didn't know that I was going to be a singer, I thought, I, you know, the thought crossed my mind, but I didn't know how. So it wasn't like I sat and thought, okay, someday I'm going to go to college and get my degree in music and I'm going to learn how to, I, I didn't think like that. But... Um, what I, what I discovered is that I loved music. I really, really, really loved it. Like I, I used to listen to music all the time. Like when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, I always had a earplug, earphone or headphones on listening to music. I, I, I was like a, I guess a music nerd and I listened to every kind of music. It wasn't just rock or so. I'm a lot of rock and roll though. I was a big British rock fan uh, I loved anything by the Eagles, anything by, you know, any David Bowie, Rod Stewart was one of my favorites growing up. But I would listen to music so intently, like I would really get into what the, what's going on uh, with the sounds coming through the speakers, where, what the instruments were doing, where they were placed, how they meshed together, you know. And um, so I have this huge vocabulary of songs. Like I know lots of songs. Like, like you can pretty much name any song and I might know it. Not in today's music though. I'm yeah. talking anything before nineteen before nineteen ninety nine, before two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I used to really listen to a lot of music. But I don't listen so much to me. now when I hear contemporary music is when I'm shopping in H and M, they always play really good music in there. Mhm. And uh but uh, but I don't know too many of the today's artists, the youngsters today. But anybody that was making music from 1990 back, I was very aware of whoever, who they were. Um, so I have this vocabulary, and I think that somehow my mind just mathematically puts words and phrases together in a certain way, and they just come out like that. 
Wow, that's such a gift to have. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody that, you know, songwriting comes easy, but it looks like for you, you know, uh, you definitely have a gift right there and the songs just come to you, which is amazing. And I love your whole story about the answering machine and, you know, singing that song <laughs> because it's not something we see every single day. And I think that's just what makes your story so unique. Uh, as far as, you know, going into blues, I know that's kind of your your skill set on terms of music and where you reside. Um, who do you look up to for musical inspiration? Was there anybody during your journey that just kind of stood out to you? Oh, yes, yes. Um, number one, I can Tina Turner. It's why I really, I, I, I fell in love with I can Tina Turner when I was 11 years old. I, my parents, of course, always played music in the house. We mm-hmm. always had some type of music playing in the house from the day I was born. Um, but I didn't know who I can Tina Turner were until my dad took me to see this movie called Soul to Soul when I was 11 years old. And when I saw them, they opened the show. I said to my dad, wow, that looks like something I'd like to do. I'd like to be a singer in a band someday. But it wasn't real. It was just like something I just said. It wasn't like, I I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a race car driver someday. Or, you know, I'd like to be a pilot someday, you Mm -hmm. know. But I definitely thought I and Tina were really special. And I really got into their music, like really into it. And um, as the years, you know, went by, um, uh, they became, looking back, I see how they were important to me and how they are the foundation of my music making. Rod Stewart was another one. I have every song that guy ever made. I have every record he ever made. And I absolutely was so drawn to his music. Looking back, I see now how I've incorporated his style into my own. I've incorporated I Can Turner into my own. Um, Rolling Stones, big ones. Eagles, very big. Uh, um, Contemporary, I loved Amy Winehouse. I thought she was very special. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very special. Definitely. And, um, and, and, you know, those were the standouts. Of, I can tell you, Rod Stewart, uh, they were the standouts. But, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, because I always sort of, other than Rod Stewart and the Rolling Stones and the Eagles and, um, you know, Steve Miller Band, I'm pretty much, as singers, now that, those are bands, those are great, but as singers go, I studied the females. I never really sang along with men mm-hmm. recordings. I always sang along with women. And I can hear that phrasing in my voice. I have a, uh, someone said, I have, you, have a, you, do, you have feminine phrasing. Yes. And I'm very proud of that, actually. My, the way I turn a phrase in a song, it has a more feminine quality to it than a masculine quality. And I said, when he said that, I was like, well, that's really astute of you because I only listened to females, like Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Gladys Knight, Shirley Bassey is a big one. Like all my hand movements when I sing, when I sing on stage, I, I do this thing with my hands. You know, when you talk, you use your hands, right? Well, Very much. when I sing, I also use my hands. And I stole all those hand movements from totally from Shirley Bassey. 100%. If you ever watch her and then watch me, you'll see that I am doing everything that she does. That's so awesome. That's so great. Definitely. Well, Earl, that's that's so great to hear and uh, super fun. Uh, we actually have to take a quick little break, so let's go ahead and do that right now. You're listening okay. to The Fame Game.
for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Your hosts, all eight of them, have been selected by Kids First as film critics through a national competition. Each week, they will preview new movies before you see them, walk the red carpet with the stars, and will review the latest DVDs. Our hosts range from ages 7 to 14 to give you a wider kids' perspective. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Join us every week for the Paper Hope Street Team. None of our topics are off the table. This is a program that you can listen to and discuss with your family. From the pages of the Paper Hope blog to the internet radio airwaves, we'll talk about the topics you want to talk about, such as friendship and relationships, or some more controversial issues about sex, drugs, and underage drinking. Join the Paper Hope Street Team live every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Kids channel. Let's talk soon. Tune in every Monday for Purple Songs Can Fly. Our program serves as a musical outlet for children being treated at the Texas Children's Cancer and Hematology Centers. These songs are flown all over the world and even into space. Hundreds of songs have been written and recorded and have been part of shuttle missions, airline in-flight playlists, toured with the Rolling Stones, gone undersea and to the top of Mount Everest. Join our hosts for some great music on Purple Songs Can Fly, Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Kids. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Real kids, real talk radio. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. We're back with Earl Thomas. So, Earl, we were just talking about, you know, kind of the songwriting aspect of your life and who you look up to for musical inspiration. And again, everything that you're saying is just so unique and so you. Um, I kind of want to know a little bit about your tour life. What is that like? Uh-huh. Well, it used to be when I first, um, when I first got to deal, my first record contract was signed by Frank Zappa and Herb Cohen. And they took me to, the, to Switzerland to the Montreal Jazz Festival, and that's really where things, you know, kicked off for me in, in Europe. And I used to tour like, oh man, like 200 nights a year, 200 nights a year. Wow. And that started to get really old mm-hmm. because, you know, I would go to these places and I'd go to all these, you know, I was in Rome, I was in Paris, I was in London, all these great cities. But I never got to see any of the sites, right? Because we were just like one night after the other. Yeah. And uh, and then one time, and then finally, I just said, you know, to my agents, I'm willing to work really hard, but I gotta have you know time to myself. So um, the way it works now is I pretty much I do like six months on, and I have six months off. In fact, I'm just coming off of my six months off, and on on April night, uh, April 18th, 18th, yeah, mm-hmm. on April 18th, I fly to London. And I meet my band in Great Britain, my British band, and we start, we're doing 23 shows in 32 days. And then I'm off for uh, about a month, and then we go back and we, we do a string of dates again like that. So I try to tour in a very sensible, I try to keep it very sensible, because to be honest with you, I like my time off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not one of those musicians who just loves to be on the road. I don't hate it, but I don't necessarily love it either. Yeah, what would you say is it's your hard favorite? hard work, you know? It's, it's yeah. Hard, which is like right now, 
I'm exercise, I've been on a, what I call my, my 150 day tour preparation regime. And I've been working with a trainer, a very talented uh, ex Marine who really puts us through the paces. And um, so six days a week I work out. I, I, I do a two mile run three days a week and I ride my bicycle 10 miles three days a week. And I'm in the best physical condition. You wouldn't believe it. I'm in, in I'm so strong. I, I, I could rip a door off of its hinges to run from a fight. I'm really, really strong. Oh, that's great. And it's, it's, I'm very impressed with myself. At 54 years old, I have the body of a 30-year-old. That's awesome. Fitness goals are and amazing. the strength of a 30-year-old. But I did that because I thought 23 shows in 32 days. I mean, I wasn't in bad shape before, but I couldn't do 60 push-ups. You know, I couldn't do, you know. Oh, gosh. I couldn't do, you know, 50 chin-ups, right? Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, but I can now. And it's like, but with that comes stamina, because you know one needs stamina. You know, you're on the tour bus, and you're off the bus, you're on stage, and you're so in the true. restaurant, and then you're in the hotel, and then mm-hmm. you're, you know, you get this routine. And so, I decided that I I wanted to be good from my first show to my last show, and that's what motivated me to start exercising, to prepare. And in the process, I've discovered that I love being in shape. I absolutely love it. It's in, it, it's the most incredible feeling and uh but i tour yeah I like, and i have bands every i have a band in you know, i have two bands in the united states one in san diego for southern california one in san francisco for northern california i have another band in portland oregon for the northwest corridor i call it i have a band in london the royal guard that's what i'm going to meet on april 19th i have another band in norway a band called blue aspic and i do scandinavia with them and um and I've had I had I had I have had bands in Holland, in Germany, um, oh, in Switzerland also, and uh, and and basically I fly to them and we do the tour in the region that that they're in. And the cool thing about that is that I have musical friends literally all over the world that I just adore. I love them, and we have such great times. And and they and we never get tired of each other. We're like 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 right now. Me and the Royal Guard, the six guys in London, we are all so looking forward to seeing each other. <laughs> it's really great. That's great awesome. No, that's a great thing to have. It's always great to make friends in different countries and, you know, be able to say, yeah, I have friends all over the world. And, you know, yeah, I have them all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, what? And you know, too, it's, 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 I'm again, <laughs> speaking of how <laughs> you know, things just sort of clicked or fell into place for me. I didn't start out with the intent of having bands in all these different countries and all these different locations. But I discovered it was very expensive to transport seven people to England mm-hmm. and then to house them. So I met some British guys, uh, and we, and, and in fact, I met them on the Blues Cruise, the legendary rhythm and blues cruise. And, uh, and we really hit it off. And I said, hey, you know, I'm coming to... I'm coming to Ireland at that time. I'm coming to Ireland to do a short tour. Would you guys maybe want to, you know, be my backing band? And they said, yeah. And then we did that. And then while we were in Ireland, my agent called and says, I got some more dates in England. So can you do that? And then next thing you know, I got this great band. And and for the last seven years in the United Kingdom, I've been going, um, I've been performing with them pretty much. Uh, in the United Kingdom and elsewhere, I'm going to Eastern Europe. We're, we're leaving. Uh, we're going to be five dates in London, uh, five dates in England, and then we fly to Poland. We'll fly to Austria, and we start the tour. We'll be in Austria, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, 
uh, Eastern Germany, and that's the 23 shows in 32 days. Wow, that's awesome. You know what I love about yeah. touring also and how music so resides with all of the people in these different countries is I hear that music is the universal language. And whenever I talk to somebody on my show about music, I always have to say that to them. Do you think that music is the universal language? I know that music is the universal language because I have, okay, starting with the band, um, my band in, okay, I haven't even left out Denmark. One of the longest running bands I had was out of Copenhagen. And when we were on in the tour bus, they didn't speak English to me. Mm-hmm. They only spoke Danish. I mean, they, I mean they didn't, I'm sorry. They didn't speak English to each other. They spoke Danish to each other. So unless they had something specifically to say to me or unless I was involved somehow in a conversation, you know, they spoke their language. Mm-hmm. But when we got on stage, you wouldn't know that they were a Danish band, you know? And then in this last tour of Eastern Europe, I just this is my second time going to Eastern Europe, when I was in very, very far east of Poland and, you know, in Austria, in Slovakia, Czech, Czech Republic. English is not like the first language, but they got it, man. I mean, really got it. And then the greatest experience I just had, I toured Mexico. I just came, in fact, I just got back. Um, we were down in Mexico. And I guarantee you that in central Mexico, English was not, it wasn't even, for a lot of people, they just didn't speak English at all. <laughs> and so I remember that I did a, 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 a press conference and the interviewer asked me, do you have any concerns? You know, it's your first time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. um, my biggest concern is that, you know, that people won't understand my lyrics. But I went on stage. In fact, one of the show, I closed my show with an Eagles song, a song called Take It to the Limit. And uh, so I remember singing the first line, all alone at the end of an evening. And everybody just started to play. They really understood the music. They got the feeling. They, they may not have understood all the words, but they got the feeling. And that was an amazing feeling for me. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell any of my jokes and stuff that wouldn't work, but yeah. the songs, you know, my little banter, none of that, none of that, 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 that banter didn't work at all, mm-hmm. but the music was incredible. That's so wonderful, and uh, I love that, that music can be understood by so many people, because like you said in mm-hmm. itself, you know, not everybody is going to speak the same language, you know, English may not be their <laughs> first language, maybe it's their second, right. but at the end of the day, as long as you know that they're they're getting those feelings, and they're completely feeling that, um, you know, all, all the emotion, right. all the story, that's that's what's important, and at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to portray as a singer, that's is, all is that story. I'm, I'm, I consider myself like an evangelist. Mm-hmm. I'm an evangelist. I don't, I mean, I'm not preaching, you know, gospel or anything, but, yeah. I'm, I, but, the, but the presentation is the same. It's like an evangelist doesn't have to have, like, I don't think of my voice as like a really nice voice. Mm-hmm. You, you know, my classical voice is, you know, it's all right. But my, but my blues voice, it's not a, I don't think of it as a beautiful voice or anything. It has emotion. It has color. It has character. But, um, but I've often said, yeah, I don't have a nice voice, but as an evangelist, I don't need to have a nice voice. Yes. Because my job is to convey emotion. And my voice is perfect for conveying emotion. And I'll tell you another story. I was in, uh, we were in Slovakia. This was last year. 
and we were in a, a, a jazz club. It's become blah, 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 jazz club. I can't say the name. Mm-hmm. And there was probably, you know, 500 people, and they were very polite. It was, it was as if they were at a classical music concert. They all just sat there, and at the end of every song, they applauded very politely, and then they waited for the next song, and they applauded very politely. And I'm used to people, you know, getting up and, you know, dancing and jumping around and getting crazy, right? Absolutely. And so that was not happening at all. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not reaching <laughs> People, they don't like me. That's what, I mean, you know, that's what I thought. And then we get to the last song. And this, last year, I was singing a song called Soul Shine by Warren Haynes and Government Mule. That was my closing song. And I, I sang it. I started singing the first verse. Blah, blah, blah. And then I get to the middle verse, and I'm thinking, oh, thank God this show's over because these people are just like, you know, they're just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I'm turning back left, and they're just sitting there, okay? And so finally, this old, I mean, really old lady. She had to be like 80 years old, sitting in the very middle of the room. And again, I noticed her because she sat, you know, politely. Up. Suddenly, she just stands up and starts dancing in her spot. She's just this old Slovakian lady, and she was just grooving and just dancing. And I thought, oh, wow, check it, check it, check it. And people looked at her like, are you crazy? You know, like they looked at her like they couldn't believe that she would do that. Because, And then I learned that culturally, this is, you know, you don't you don't stand up and be demonstrative like that yeah. in that part of the world. Okay, that was a cultural thing. It wasn't that they didn't like our music. They loved our music. It was just that being boisterous and being, you know, uh, seen was not uh, was not necessarily proper mm-hmm. behavior. And so this lady stands up and she's just dancing, and then and people were looking at her, and then I noticed that someone else next to her stood up and started dancing, and then someone. And the other side of the room sees them, and that person stood up. Honest to God, one at a time, I watched 500-plus people stand up and get into the group. And by the time we got, I told the guys in that, keep playing. Don't stop. Don't stop playing. Don't stop. Don't, don't, because, we, because at the point that people were finally, all of them were standing, the song was, should have been long over. <laughs> For sure. But, but I feel like keep going. Get with the program. You know, look what's happening here. And so all these people just like, finally, they were all standing up. And, and eventually we did like this whole, you know how you dance and people follow you like in a wedding that you do like, I could call it a bunny hop or something. We did this kind of training thing, you know, and it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful moment, I must say. That's awesome. And Earl, we do have to take a quick little break. So let's go ahead and do that. Keep okay. it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. Join Kid Chef Eliana for Cool Kids Cook. Eliana is one of the youngest published cookbook authors and will show you that there are all kinds of goodness in food beyond the chicken nuggets and fries. On our show, we'll discover cuisine from around the world, learn some great cooking techniques, speak with some of the world's top chefs, and share recipes. Kid Chef Eliana is here for you on Cool Kids Cook every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. Bon appetit! Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Bookworm is a show for the reader and those that should probably be reading a little more. We'll tackle the classics, the bestsellers, and the brand new works that you won't be able to put down. Your host will be combing the pages of them all and letting you know what needs to be in your personal library and what might be better reading for the bathroom. 
tune into Bookworm, airing Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids channel. We promise that listening will be just like delving into a good book. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game, back with Earl Thomas. So we were just talking with you, Earl, about, you know, kind of basically a great moment for you when you got to see um, all those Slovakian people stand up for you, start dancing, and like (laughs) you were saying, you know, that's just not something that you see culturally. So music truly touched them in that way, and uh, like you said, it can be kind of shocking because you don't really know if they're going to understand it, but hey, you portrayed those emotions, you got through to them, and that's so awesome to hear. I want to hear now, Earl, about what you consider your greatest accomplishment. My greatest accomplishment? Yes. What would you say? My greatest accomplishment. Um, you want one? Can I braid a couple of together? You can braid a couple all... together. I won't. I won't. Okay. <laughs> My greatest accomplishment um, that I have the life that I that I I have a life that I'm very very proud of, and it was designed by me and not by anyone else. And it involved music. Like I said, I didn't know that I could be a professional musician. I certainly didn't, even if I had an inkling, I might have had an inkling of being a musician, but I had no idea how to become one. And so it turns out I didn't have to know because it all got sort of serendipitously, you know, arranged for me. Uh, So at the end of the day, I have a very, very happy life that I'm very, very proud of. That's my greatest achievement. But I did it through music. And the way that that sort of started was I wrote a song about my parents mm-hmm. that Etta James heard, the great Eva heard, and she recorded it on That's her uh, Grammy-nominated uh, Right Time CD in 1994. And that actually changed my life. That opened a lot of doors for me. And so I... So my music has blossomed into this beautiful life that I have, and uh, I've maintained. I've, I've maintained through the years, and I'm very, very proud of myself. Um, I was not supposed to make it because if I had stayed in my hometown, I would be working in a factory, mm-hmm. probably living in a trailer, and I might not be as happy and proud of myself as I am now. Not to say that there's anything wrong with working in a factory living in a trailer. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But I would have had to settle for that because I wouldn't have, no one would have told me otherwise. And no one would have told me otherwise because no one knew otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky that I didn't get that narrative when I was, for the first 14 years of my life, and it opened my horizons, gave me a viewpoint that I would not have received in my hometown. And uh, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I have a very, very happy life, and I'm very uh, comfortable, and I am grateful for that, and I work, you know, as hard as I want to. I'm not overworked. (laughs) I always have enough, Mm -hmm. and enough is a lot, Um, and I'm uh, working toward a very comfortable retirement. That's great. 
That's so great to hear. And I commend you for everything that you've done so far. And uh, it's just amazing to see, again, that music found you and it definitely changed your life for the better and you are in a happy place. And it is what you were meant to be doing. And uh, like you said, at the end of the day, that's important because you always want to work on something that you're passionate about. Uh, when you're wor- exactly. when you're actually passionate about, you're not really working a day in your life, you know? So that's so great to exactly. hear. Exactly. I honestly can tell you that and it can be done. I was so pr- I, I mentored uh, uh, several artists. One in particular, a guy called Donovan Keith, who sings with a band called Soul Track Mind in Austin. Um, I've been his mentor for seven years, and they're getting ready to blow up. I'm going to tell you right now. Three years from now, you're going to speak about Soul Track Mind in the same breath as you'd say Maroon Five or you know Vintage Trouble or any of these groups that are doing really well. And I can and I'm very proud that I had a hand in helping Donovan avoid certain pitfalls that would have derailed a newcomer into the business uh, because he wouldn't have known not to step on that particular land. That particular landmine will blow your leg off. But if you have to step on a landmine, mm-hmm. step on that one. It'll only, you know, you can, <laughs> you can maybe can jump out of the way before it explodes. You know, I could give him those kind of pointers. And, and so it helped him, and I could see that it helped him, and so can he. And, I, and I'm very, very proud. In fact, my, one of my proudest moments with him was the day that I called him and I said, okay, I am no longer your mentor. And he was like, what? What do you mean? Like, he was kind of nervous. And I said, nope, I'm no longer your mentor because you are now my colleague. He had written a song called Remember Me. And I listened to that song and I went, okay, you have arrived. You don't need me anymore. My work is done. Wow. And that's a, that was a very rewarding feeling, too. That's very but, awesome. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky... I'm a, I'm one of the luckiest people I've, I know, man. I really am. I, and when I think about it, you know, I'm going to be doing a show in Memphis, Tennessee, on yeah. May 31st at the Levitt Shell. And that's a big deal. That's, that's the stage that Elvis Presley did his first big gig on. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Back in 1966. Yeah. And, uh, and it's my first time playing back in my home state in many, many years. The last time I was there was some years ago. And uh, I'm just, and all my friends from high school and my family and they're all going to come down to Memphis to see the show and um, and uh, I'm very thrilled about that. Uh, but yeah, I've been very very lucky and and continue to be and um, and I can honestly say to you that you're talking to someone now who absolutely 100% lives in his dream world. He lives in his dream. Everything about my life is perfect. Like, I can't complain about anything. That's wonderful, yeah, Earl. And it's such a pleasure to have been talking to you today. Thank you so much. It looks like our time is up. Time flies when oh, you're having thank fun. Thank you. It flies when you're having fun. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And best of luck with the rest of your tour. And again, it was such a pleasure to have you on the Fame Game. Everybody is definitely going to head over to your website, earlthomasmusic.com. Oh, yeah, please do. All righty. Sounds good. Have a nice day, Earl. And thanks for joining me. Um, thank you. Bye-bye. Absolutely. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and feature one of Earl Thomas's songs. So here it is. When you can't find the light to guide you to a brighter day And the stars ain't shining bright You feel like you've lost your way And when the candlelights of home Seem to burn so very far away Oh, you got to let your soul shine Just like my daddy used to say He used to say, soul shine 
It's better than sunshine It's better than moonshine And better than rain Oh, now people don't mind We all feel this way sometimes We've got to let our souls shine Until the brighter day I grew up thinking that I had it made I'd make it on my own Life will take even the strongest man And make him feel so all alone And now and then I feel the cold wind Blowing through my aching bones And I think back to what my daddy said Boy, ain't the darkness Just before the dawn He said soul shine Is better than sunshine It's better than moonshine Damn sure better than rain Oh, now people don't mind Cause we all feel this way sometimes We've got to let our souls shine Shine till the brighter day Now sometimes a man Feel this emptiness Like a woman Has robbed him of his very soul And a woman she too God knows That she can feel like this When the world seems cold You've got to let your spirit take control Yeah, and you got to let your soul shine It's better than sunshine It's better than moonshine And it's, it's better than rain Oh, now people don't mind Cause we all feel this way sometimes We've got to let our souls shine Shine till the brighter day Let me hear you say It's better than Oh, and it's better than Yes, it's better than rain Oh, now people don't mind Don't mind We all feel this way sometimes To let our souls shine Shine till the brighter day Sing it one more time Say Better Oh yes it's better than Yes and it's better than Hear me now Say I don't mind Don't mind We all feel this way Let our souls shine, shine till the brighter day. We've got to let our souls shine, shine till the brighter day. Said we got to let our souls shine, shine till the brighter day. Thank you so much for listening to the Fame Game. I'm your host, Maddie Rose. This show has been produced by Kidstar on the Voice America Kids Radio Network. I'll see you next week.
Thank you again for listening to The Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Be sure to join Maddie Rose again next week for another great show. My name is Lindsay Marie from Bookworm. Now from the Kids Star Album of the Month, here is the Wiz Pops and their song, Whale Shark. Pops from the Kidstar album of the month.